Hey friends, welcome to the Thrive Like a Parent podcast. You know those parents who look like they've got it all together? Yep, that's not me. I'm Dr. Brooke Weinstein, mom, widow, and neuroscience expert on all things sensory and emotional regulation. Yep, that's right. I'm here to get down and dirty on the truth behind parenting, education, burnout, neuroscience, widowhood, and the shit show we call life. So come join me for conversations with thought leaders, doctors, and women just like you who aren't afraid to speak the truth and help you find that silver lining between the to-do lists, shit shows, and chaos of parenthood. If you are craving the answers to finally find that sweet spot between chaos and calm, pull up a seat and listen in as I take you from burnt out and surviving to finally thriving. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Thrive Like a Parent podcast. Today, I have a guest with me, and her name is Laura Day. And we're going to jump right in because, Laura, I know that you have so much to share and you can give so much knowledge and information. Um, But really what I want all of you all to know is that Laura is an intuitive healer, and she is a New York Times bestseller, and she's worked with many amongst the stars and we are so grateful to have her here today and laura thank you so much for being here thank you for having me before we were hopping on i asked laura if she enjoyed doing more of getting to know the human versus really educating and and allowing others to get to know specifically laura what you do in the work and you know i've i've listened to some of the podcasts that you've done as well as i've read some of your books and I would love for you to share a little bit about specifically in your own words, what you do. So I do a variety of, of things. My, the way I make my living is I have worked for the same companies for 35 years, actually one CEO just retired. So I just took on a new company, which is a big learning experience for me, but I predict the future. That is, that is what I do. And there is so much, you know, intuition is not a belief. There is so much research on every person's ability to, to some degree, predict the future. So for my living, that's what I do. For my pleasure, I've written two New York Times bestsellers. I just finished my seventh book. And really, they're all workshops on how do I get everyone in the world to have as weird a brain as I do? How do I teach people mediumship, telepathy, precognition? And how do I teach them to do it in the real world? I also once a year do something called boot camp where I train professionals because I no longer take private clients. Um, I train professionals to do this in their workplace, in their world, in their families, um, and to do it in an evidence-based way, which means that even if all these other things exist, spirit guides, past lives, blah, 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 they my experience is I'm having enough trouble with this life. I'm having enough trouble getting back to the people who call me, who are alive. And how do you use intuition in a way that builds your life? How do you predict the future in a way that you prepare for it instead of dreading it and actually do what human beings are meant to do, which is create our reality, create our world. And our reality, I don't mean some spiritual concept. I mean, how do you recreate your family, your finances, your love, your body, your health, your career, your creativity, how well you sleep at night? How do you employ these really organic gifts to make your life better? So my love 
I mean, my real love is teaching. And whenever I do a lot of free Soho house events, I, uh, before COVID, I traveled all around the country and uh, did Unity Church and, or any of those places, events where I would take a thousand people and get them to be just as weird as I am in an evening. And I just, I'm so um, impressed by people's ability to access this organic ability and then to apply it to their lives and to their communities. So that's the long answer. No, I appreciate that answer. Whenever anyone asks me that, I go on a very long tangent as well. And it, I think we all have specific gifts or, you know, um, special talents that we impart wisdom and we're here to support others in certain ways. And, you know, one of the things that I think drew me a lot to you is that it's not just intuitive healing. You said there's research behind it. And a lot of the things that I've read from you and a lot of the things that I've even listened to you, you are very research-based and I am heavily based in neuroscience. And that's specifically, you know, how I train and teach my clients is understanding the brain and really utilizing that to their advantage in order to support themselves into what word came up for me when you were explaining all these things is almost lumped into like balance, but there's no real form of balance, if you will. You know, that word is just so mythical. Yes. And right. But it's like strive for balance. We strive for adaptability because balance is in balance if the conditions change. And the one guarantee about life is conditions change. But I do think that I'm an example of successfully uh, sourced neurodiversity because mm-hmm. to have an incredibly intuitive brain from birth, you also don't have a lot of other things. Um, you know, I have severe ADD. I, you know, I can't, I get lost a block from my house. Um, I can't be accurately tested for IQ because my spatial reasoning is non-existent and my mathematical reasoning is off the charts. So, you know, I, I think that it is so what you say is so important, which is the the um, both as 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 parents, as individuals and as community members to to make the goal, not conformity, because if everyone's doing the same thing, you don't you, you're not an effective organism. Um, you know, if everything in your body was a kidney, you'd have a problem. But but how can people be useful, but also to make that a standard, because there are a lot of compensations that don't have demands. And although I know that that's an, a politically uh, unpopular stance, I really think that a lot of the neurological research and the psychological research is is accenting too much the can't do and the trauma and supporting it while not actually saying, oh, and we all have the obligation to be useful, here is how you can be useful too. And I, 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 I um, you know, I think that as, as, um, as parents, often we get very panicked about our, the diversity in our children and every child Absolutely. is diverse. There are moments where every child doesn't fit in. And if your kid is fitting in, I'll bet you they haven't hit adolescence yet. Um, yeah. And and the question, you know, I think that there's a lot of accommodation made, but not enough awareness that there actually is a foundational 
um, need for us all to function in a certain way, not in the yeah. same way, but you want, you know, I, I have a lot of mothers and one in particular comes to mind um, in my morning Instagram group and we all exchange readings on Instagram. So we get data, verifiable data about how to manage our lives. And she has an autistic son and I, we don't say that anymore, but I, you know, the language changes faster than my ADD brain can. And, um, and she's very devoted but her, her son is an adult and her son, no matter how devoted she is, her son needs a world and the world needs her son. And mm -hmm. I think that that one of the things that's often forgotten is both in ourselves um, and, you know, children change you uh, and in our children. How do we make them of service useful? in some way. And um, I, I think that that it's really, um, it's really important in our daily lives, but also in viewing our children, you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes of my own uh, is your pathology holds your potential. And it does, it doesn't mean that your pathology is your potential, it means as you work through that pathology, uh, it becomes your potential. Absolutely. You have to, you have to embrace your individuality. You have to embrace the brain that you do have. You have to embrace, you know, as you were saying all those things, I would love for you to kind of take back for a moment. Like you said, you have severe ADD or severe ADHD. Like how was that for you growing up? Because I'm assuming, and I'm projecting here, but I would assume that led you down the path and many different things in your life have led you to the path of where you are now. But I would assume that that embracing of that has led you to where you are today. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because I have two siblings who've suicided, who had brains mm. very much like mine. Um, intuition, which is why I teach it, really saved my life because where executive function failed, intuition, because I really wanted to thrive and survive and connect and didn't have the patterning or resources or neurological ability to do that, intuition filled that space and put me in a situation. In my case, the situation was in my early 20s. There was a lot of interest. I mean, most people who have brains like mine are in psych wards, but there was a lot of interest in the early 80s in what can the human brain do? A lot of it was military funded, but there was interest in research. And I was lucky enough to have fallen into intuitively, it's never, it's never a coincidence, a group of people who were actually doing research, who were looking at how often is there a hit? How often is there a miss? What are the conditions under with which these things occur? And it was really, really, uh, it was it was serendipitous. It was really quite amazing. So, um, so uh, you know, I teach intuition because intuition uh, saved my life. You know, I was raised in a very science-based family. I'm from three generations of physicians. Uh, my father had me sign a document at age 11 that said I would remain a virgin until I was 35 years old or had won a Nobel Prize as a give, he said, the earliest of the two events. So, uh, you know, I was raised in a very academic environment, which if you have uh, a learning difference is very hard. Um, my brother was lucky in that he was a math savant. 
um, so that his learning difference, even though he didn't read till he was in third grade, he had completed basically all the higher math by that point as well. Uh, so for me, actually, it didn't serve me growing up. I mean, when you're a, a, a child and you say something that's out of phase with time, like sure. saying someone you're sorry that their grandmother died and their grandmother isn't sick but dies three days later, does not make you super popular at a lunch table. Yeah. Um, what, what I did learn to do, because I wasn't, you know, in my era, I was born in 1959, in my era, boys were just starting to be diagnosed with, with ADD, um, but, but girls were not. Yeah. And, and so what I looked like in school was lazy, distracted, wow. oppositional. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a math and science school called Stuyvesant, which I, you know, was, was, I wasn't not not my major interest, but it was free. Um, and it was a very, you know, very focused on very executive function kind of things. Um, yeah. So it really was not, you know, my most of my neurology was not a plus for me growing up. Um, however, one of the things that happened early, because I was an oldest child in a dysfunctional home, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that happened early was that I had to always have a goal. How do I get us fed? We actually lived in se a separate apartment from the adults from the time I was five years old with three younger children. We were four children born in four and a half years. So very early, actually, because of this very dysfunctional household, I had to be super focused. Now, as we know, with ADD, focus is almost impossible. So I would pick one target at a time. Get us fed. Is everyone in the house? Does anyone have sharp objects? You know, one thing at a time. Now, that made me narrow in conversation, narrow socially. But what it did, because what intuition wants is it wants a question to answer. It wants a task yeah. to accomplish. So it made me really able to focus on a single task. What was really uh, wonderful, I mean, that didn't help a lot with school because of course, school has so many tasks, so many, it, college was so much easier because there were so many different things to do that if you, if you don't have parenting and don't have executive function, you're in big trouble. But what it did, teach me to do is what is my single goal? My single goal right now is to get food. My single goal right now is to belong somewhere. And that's how I found these people who were doing these testing. I found, I found, I saw something on a nerd channel on TV and, um, and they were talking about what I knew my brain did naturally, but never knew was anything but a deficit. Because I mean, I did have a manic depressive mother who in her mania, I would have to remind her that we do wear clothes when we go out the front door. So, and I was adored her, she was charming. This was my normal, but, um, but it, was, it was intuition that when I was, when my goal was, I need to belong someplace, I found my people and I found mm -hmm. my people in a way that wasn't icky to me. To me, as a, someone in the, my early 20s who had lived with enough crazy to fill 20 lifetimes, I didn't want people who were talking to spirits or wearing voluminous robes or living with 20 cats. I wanted 
I wanted to fit in to, to what I considered a normal world. And yeah. so I, I, what happens when you are focused and not focused like this, because that cuts out all the information focused here is I wanted to belong and I found my people, which aren't like me, they weren't intuitives, they were scientists who were looking at the extended capacities of human perception, which is why, you know, I, I have I have this book that it's my fourth book, I think. Yes, it's my fourth book. This is what I live by. And it's it's I, I live by it because it says it does exactly what my brain does to use intuition functionally which is what is what is your goal? And you know, often as parents, we can't be that focused on our own goals. We have to contextualize our goal within our family's needs. And that's reality as adults, that is our job. Um, however, knowing what your goal is, or at least how you want to feel, allows intuition to slip it into your other activities. So that really, that really saved my life. And I mean, I remember the day I graduated from high school and Stuyvesant was and still is a very, very prestigious school. You test to get into it. The top SAT scores are from that school. I think my year graduating half of the old all the perfect SAT scores were from Stuyvesant, but that was 1977. And, um, and they called me into the, the principal's office and they said, you have the dubious honor of graduating with the least days attended in the hundred year history of the school. <laughs> because tr traditional education I, didn't work. And so I yeah. did things in a way that did, which is a classroom didn't work for me, but there are these wonderful SAT guides so a week before the test, I would I would go into these SAT guides and just do it over and over and over until it became intuitive, until memory and executive function didn't have to be engaged. And I really think those are the ways, you know, that we find for our kids. Like sometimes something for me, for example, chewing gum organizes my attention. Oh, gum yeah. isn't allowed in school, but perhaps for children with certain neurology, it should be. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's gross motor movement into your jaw, right? And it's giving the deep pressure into your nervous system and therefore you can attend and focus, right? Just like sitting on a ball rather than sitting in a chair or, you know, having a fidget a toy, times. right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, you know, I think again, um, with children, we make the mistake of saying it, it should all be done their way. No, I mean, being able to adapt is really important. So past yes. those SATs were important. And actually the self-sufficiency of having to find another way to do it was also mm -hmm. important. I, I, mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, people are inherently useful when allowed to be. And um, one of the things that we did in our household in the morning, in our household where it was all very strange neurology, was in the morning, we'd ask each other, how can I make this day better for you? It's important to teach children to walk into a situation, say, how can I be of service here? What, what can I add? Um, mm -hmm. Because we do, that. it's a fallacy that we do not have to live within a framework. But intuition really helps uh, people find the way. Although I do not, I do not 
train children intuitively, and I do not think they should be trained intuitively. You need to have a solid ego structure to use intuition as anything but a crisis survival tool, which of course annihilates other important parts of your personality. Um, it's really important to have an ego first. So I really recommend with children that you channel that into creativity and a simple exercise for that are these wonderful pads where there's drawing here and lines here. And even with, with pre-verbal, you know, semi-verbal nursery school age children, um, but especially as they get more verbal pre-writing, when they come home, you can make a ritual where they just have their snack and they, as they draw a picture and then you tell them about the picture and you write down their words underneath, yeah. lines underneath it. And it's, it's, you know, they don't have to tell you all they're drawing, they draw and then they look at it and you will, they, you will help them integrate what's happened during the day, their response to it, and it engages intuition in the way intuition should be engaged before ego formation is complete. And that is an awareness of your surroundings, an awareness of your position within them, and in using that intuition to find ways to connect and adapt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I would also like you to speak to a little bit of like the embodiment piece and you know, a lot of people have different ideas of what it means to be embodied or what it means to, like you were saying, like almost live in your framework of like what feels best and right for you. I would love within your own words, because I'm constantly trying to explain to my audience of how does it feel right to understand your neurology basically, right? To, and then to live aligned within the individual neurology of your own brain. But I love how you kind of dive in depth with the embodiment piece and ex specifically how you explain it. Would you mind explaining that in your own words for my audience? So embodiment, first of all, you start with mindfulness and people confuse mindfulness with meditation. It's not Mindfulness is what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? Not absolutely in your head, not even emotion. What is your experience of being alive in this moment? So everything starts there and we're not very mindful, you know, to do mindfulness meditation, I think often takes you out of your mindfulness. Mm. Uh, your mindfulness is just really being present once again, doing being who you are, doing what you do in this moment. Now, embodiment is when you allow the experience of what you're trying to create. So that goal, which is the first yes. element of the circle, when you allow yourself to notice it in your environment. And one of the things that happens is as you practice bringing to your mindfulness an experience of creation of and and you can't imagine though imagine only recreates your patterns allowing okay i want to be in love how does that feel what am i feeling now that cashmere feels a lot like love this red nail polish looks a lot like love and passion like where is it now and what happens is intuition begins to get engaged and you open up both the the perception of what's either ahead of you in time or what you didn't notice already in your environment um and you also open up the subconscious hidden agendas that keep you from connecting and you and you deal with them i mean i think that what we do people a disservice 
by having them search for their difficulty, search for their trauma, understand this and that, even understanding their neurology is only helpful in terms of accomplishing things. You know, we're all great at concepts, but we're not really great at doing much with them. Mm -hmm. I, I tell my students over and over, you don't need to look for your trauma. Take that first step in doing what you want to do. And then where you have difficulty, find answers. And there's so many different ways to find answers. You know, some of it's psychology, neurology, endocrinology, biology, learning new skills, getting a degree, finding mentors. There, there are infinite ways to address them. But they, they, they will, they will come up. And I think that we coming out of my generation, that was a real generation of understanding. You don't need to understand it. You need to do it because understanding doesn't happen here. Understanding, like telepathy, is a full body experience. Understanding mm -hmm. is, oh, when I go this way, oh, wall. When I go this way, wall. Let me ask someone who's doing it well. That's the basis of self-help. You've had the problem. You found a bunch of solutions. You've tried it out on thousands of people, and now you're serving it up. Um, let me find a coach. Let me find, let me find, let me notice, uh, you know, one of the best things for me that helped with my functioning was my friend, Dr. Nigma Talib, who just helped say, you know, not eating until four in the afternoon probably doesn't help your ADD. And although I don't remember to eat, I now really ask the people in my environment, please remind me to eat. And I do. And it does. It really does help how I function in the world. Simple things to someone else, not simple to me, just like prediction is simple to me. I always have a sense of what will happen and I'm always acting on it in, in advance. And while trying to be mindful, which is a little tricky, um, but it, it, it is simple for me, not simple for others. And I think that one of the keys to teaching for all of us, because we are all teachers and we tend to underrate our own, our own ability, our own power, is what's Absolutely. simple for you. Ask people what you do well. I create safe spaces well. I never thought of that as a gift, but I was born creating safe spaces in really unsafe situations. In a sense, that's what I do for companies, for people. I create a safe space where they can thrive. There are a gazillion things I don't do well. And luckily, what I do do well allows me to contract out for most of the things I don't do well. Yeah, absolutely. But I love that you've taken ownership. You, you know, let's call them your strengths or your weaknesses or things you do well or don't do well. And then you've you've led with those, you've honored those, and you have supported those strengths, right? I think so often so many focus in on the shame or the guilt or the blame of the what they aren't doing. Or, you know, you bring up a really great point with trauma. I think feeling and feeling your feelings of your trauma, or that is poor, a portion of the healing. But the doing aspect as well is taking the next steps, right? Within your, your journey or within your own process of what that feels best and right for you is, is truly how you continue moving forward for yourself and your life. 
although it may not feel best and right. I remember when I first started public speaking and mm. I am, I took the Myers-Briggs. I'm as introverted as you can get in the scale. The MMPI affirms that I am an, a complete introvert. And before I got on stage, I, I had a prayer that I used until I realized I didn't feel that way anymore. And my prayer was, God, if you exist, and if you're going to end the world in the next 72 hours, could you please do it before I get on stage? Amen. Because really the way to deal with trauma is to take safe, calculated, productive risks. Do Absolutely. what you're afraid of, and the trauma is going to come up. Again, you will feel it, and then you will have to, in order to perform the positive action, you're going to have to find ways to either reframe what you're doing or resources or, you know, for me, when I realized that speaking wasn't about me, it was about everyone I was speaking to. And I yeah. used my mediumship, which is your ability to be something else. I used my mediumship to be the group and, and realize, oh, this is what I have to offer them. Let me go up with gifts. Everyone likes gifts. Let me go up with gifts. And it completely, now I will, I will take any opportunity to lecture, to teach, to be on a podcast. There's nothing I love more because my goal for the people listening today is that one exercise, one thing has allowed them to switch from being in turmoil to using that turmoil as energy to create their goals. And, and I think that, that, again, for parents, that's particularly hard because the most effective way to to create a goal is to be like a laser. But of course, as a parent, your your goal first, you know, is is to honor the rights of your young children. They should be competent pretty early, but your young children to take care of them in that way. And and so that that splitting does occur. But again, you know, I think that one, I think one of the biggest parenting mistakes I made is that I was so used to taking care of others. I didn't model taking care of myself well. Oh, yeah. Luckily, oh, I yeah. model other things and I have an incredible, competent, you know, son who says, don't I, you know what? I don't need you to do that for me. I know how to do that myself. And actually it's offensive that you even try. You know, you think at 31, I don't know how to buy a sweater for myself. Really? I mean, it's <laughs> So he's so so good. Um, I, I was I was unable to make him as neurotic as I am, but I was I you know it it really um, it helps as as adults and I think especially as women to keep your eye on your goal not in a sad way because a lot of the time I'll see someone with two young children at home saying oh I should be doing more writing no basic body maintenance, like hygiene, that is your accomplishment. Go you. You should know that your subconscious, if you have a goal, is gathering the people, the resources, situations while you're taking care of business. And when you have a space, that goal will be accomplished. The important thing is having the goal, not that you have to sit down and write down, write for five minutes every day. Parents don't have that clear five minutes often. I, when I wrote my book, 
because I had to write them to survive. When I wrote my books, I got up at 5 a.m. to have an hour and a half, and I did all my work in that hour and a half because that was the only time I had. And if my son was sick and woke up early, well, there went that, you know. Um, so it's, and I want to also, um, you bring up such wonderful points. There is a place for shame. You know, um, I I don't think with ourselves or our children, it's good to say there's nothing you should be ashamed of. I've been I've done things I'm ashamed of. And then it's my job not to just make it right in me except myself, but to find a way to make it right where I did harm. And I think that 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 closing that loop now, that's not always possible. But closing that loop is important. I think we misuse the concept of self-love. It is important to honor oneself, but part of honoring oneself is to say, oh, wow, my selfishness is not lovable. And how do I change that? Uh, my I'm a very irritable person. My irritability is not lovable and it's not nice and it's not fair to others. How do I work on that? You know, it, I think that, that um, that when we talk about shame, we're extending a concept we shouldn't extend, which is as children, and sometimes when we're victimized, we have we are given shame that does not belong to us. It belongs yes. to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But true shame, when you take something that's not yours or you harm someone, true shame is something where we should say, wow, this doesn't have integrity for me. And it's not a matter of being good or bad, but integrity is wholeness. So if you're not working through your wholeness, mm -hmm. then you can't achieve what you want to achieve. And going back mm -hmm. to neurology, which is, I know, your department, you need to find compensatory things yes. for your neurology. And in that sense, um, I find, you know, I, I did a, um, I've always been very thin. So Adderall and Ritalin, although they function really well for me, have not been options for me except during tax time for two days. So, so I, you know, I had a full neuropsych eval and I think I was 57 at the time or 55. And I did that because I thought at my age, if I don't know what day it is or what year it is, they're going to think dementia, not ADD. And I was that way at 11. Mm -hmm. So I had a full neuropsych eval and she said, you know, Ritalin would be your wonder drug, but it looks like you've written two New York Times bestsellers and six books and, and you have a career and you've raised a child and you own property and you have friendships. It looks like your compensations work, but we yeah. do need compensations. Part of my compensation is being I'm hyper organized because if one domino falls, that's it for me. Hyper organized. I also, my whole house, this is the guest room, so it has closets. Everything of mine is visible because anything behind a closed door disappears. Um, mm -hmm. I do a lot of things longhand because a computer is a closed door. I love that. So I have, I have my, my, my husband is my prosthetic frontal lobe. He is very organized and he compensates for me and I compensate for you know some of the ways where he stays closed so you know i think a perfect relationship is one complete brain i love that that's a good one yeah. wow now the question people will ask is 
how do you find one complete brain, right? Like, how do you figure out what would complete me? You know what I mean? We tend to find the complete brains and then Mm. we're angry at them because they're not like us. So I agree with that. My husband's boundaries, selfish. I spent a lot of years thinking, what a selfish ass. I would give anything to anyone because I have no boundaries. And I learned his boundaries and he learned my openness. Mm -hmm. And because we were committed to the relationship, what pissed us off about each other, like he used to hate that there were always a million guests in this house because I had no boundaries. I have a much more orderly contained environment because he is different. But initially I judged it. I didn't like it. It made me angry, you know, Mm -hmm. and initially, you know, my kind of openness and, you know, lack of boundaries really made him feel like he was in la la land. And Mm -hmm. you negotiate a relationship. Relationships are the world's best teachers. And, And certainly for your child, it's really important to, to, um, look at what is age appropriate And where am I completing my child's brain in a way that my child should be finding in themselves and their environment, Mm. you know, because it's, it's very, it's so tempting. Um, It's so tempting to compensate in ways that we shouldn't um, and in ways that the learning specialist at school could do or a one-on-one that the state provides perhaps could do, or, you know, it's really important to make the world a friendly place for our children by helping them find the resources beyond us in their environment and learn how to negotiate pleasantly for themselves. There's this great teacher on Instagram where I get all my information, of course. Um, There's this great teacher who basically says, hey, I can't teach if you don't raise respectful children. Yeah. That's not my job. That's your job. Yeah. You know, it's, it is so, it's important to listen to even the people who piss us off because they often have some good information. Yeah, you're so right. That's very, very true. I think there's a balance with, and I, you, that I have a very hard time with the word balance, but I do think that there's a balance between, I tell parents that there's, you know, a codependency immediately from the time that our children are born. Like they wouldn't survive without us in certain ways. Right. And the work, right. It's, it is, but then the work of our life as a parent is to release that codependency, support them, teach them, like, don't totally wave the white flag and be like, figure it out. But releasing that codependency slowly so they can navigate the world and make the decision on what sweater they want, right? As well as educate them and teach them for the world around them and for the world that they need to basically prepare for. You know, it's it's got to be a little bit of both, if you will, to be able to guide them into their future life. Well, you know, one of the elements, I'm, I agree with that, and one of the elements of the circle is ask for what you need and offer Mm -hmm. what you have. And Mm. I think that that's a very important concept for children. You know, your child may need someone to sit at the lunch table with them the first days at a new school. They may not be able to read cues the same way everyone else does. And it's really okay for them to ask their teacher 
you know, to give them the voice, let the world be friendly, let them know that what they can't do, they're, they're people to help. And one of the things that I did uh, love doing was in the Toronto school system, I did a workshop actually on the circle, but, it, but I, I picked through it a little and really made it as how do we work in a community? You know, mm. notice the person who doesn't have the thing everyone else has. How do you pull together and provide that? How do you become, you, we become powerful through our ability to facilitate one another. And I do think that one of the things that happens, especially with neurologically diverse children, is that they, they have problems uh, learning how to ask in a way that gets a positive response, whether through their verbal demands or their behavior. And I think that that is a really important thing to stress, you know, mm -hmm. that learning of you, you know, there's a language, just like if you go to France, you'd have to learn the language to get their, your needs met. There is a language. And one of the things that I think that we need to do for one another in relationships for each other as friends, as parents, and as a community is to practice the, I am here and I have faith in you. Yeah, it makes mm -hmm. me nervous. I want to do everything for you. But telepathy is real. We communicate even over a distance subliminally. And there is so much research of really complete strangers being able to send messages to one another. There's a lot of scientific research, uh, even at as far back as the 50s at Mamamadi's Medical Center, you know, the 1950s. Remember those? No, nobody remembers those. Only I'm that old. But, um, but it's really important to realize it's not just what you say, it's how you feel. So how do you find that okay place in you, that forgiving place in you, that place that realizes that people fail us and that being different isn't the same as being wrong, not just for yes. you, but for everyone around you. And someone can do something nasty or even bullying and not even realize it. So how do we find that common language? And I think that that's so important for all of us uh, to, to learn, but especially to, to teach our children how to do it. And the way you teach children is by doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Modeling that behavior. I love that. Ask for what you need, but offer what you can, because it teaches to request your needs. And that's a lot of what I tell all of my clients to do is how do you feel? Where do you feel it in your body? What do you need and how to go get it? And how you go get it is requesting those needs, right? But also offering what you can, that doesn't mean to violate your boundaries and offer everything up in the world, but it means when you can, or if you have the capacity, or if you have the energy available, offer it. Yes. Mm -hmm. you know, people always feel like they have to offer something that's a sacrifice. We all Absolutely. have it's not a sacrifice to offer. I very rarely, you know, everybody wants intuition from me. I do that for a living. Clients pay me for that. I do it in the morning, every morning for my students who are taking the trouble to learn the process. That's not something I have to offer. That's something people mm -hmm. need to really earn from me or exchange. Yeah. 
I have to offer a lot of other things. I have a space. I'm throwing a book party for a friend tonight. Uh, I have resources, money, contacts that I'm happy to offer. There are things that I have that are extra that I'm happy to offer. Don't mm -hmm. offer what you need. And we have to learn that with our kids. Don't offer what you need. Offer mm -hmm. what you want to offer. Yes. And, and find, you know, maybe learn to direct people to other resources, including your children. You know, no, I don't want to watch you play a, a video game for three hours when I need to work, <laughs> but I'd be really happy to call someone's mommy and see if they want to come over. That's so funny. Now, my, my son asked me last night, I gave them um, a new, which I'm not big on electronics, but I gave them a new video game for Hanukkah. And last night, Eli was like, mommy, will you come watch me play? And I was like, okay. And I did for like 20, 30 minutes, but that's not something like that's, I could care less if they're crashing in the cars, you know? Yeah. You don't want a steady diet of that. And I actually, right. I don't think that electronics, I, I was a renegade for, my son was born in 92. And I actually let him very early, he was the first one with a with a video game systems, he had every one, first one with a cell phone. And, you know, he was, if it had kept him from going out and playing or being social, I would have cut that thing off. But, right. I, but I let him, I basically gave him free reign. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't limit his screen time. And um, because he was a kid who, if he had the opportunity to go skateboarding with his friends, he would go skateboarding. He would do it. I mean, it depends on the child. And now, really not being trained in it, he is a whiz in the language of artificial intelligence, in media, in, you know, he's a whiz. Children learn in so many ways, and you really want to give them a smorgasbord. But yeah. I, you know, we're all trained, oh, screen time's bad. And I know there are a million studies. By the way, when I was young, there were a million studies on hydrogenated fats being better for you than olive oil. And they found out those studies were wrong. Now they say don't, now they're illegal in New York City. So, mm -hmm. you know, even the science is not a science. That, yeah. when it's ever you, evolving. It is. And when you have an intuition about something and it's safe to try it out, try it out. My intuition was that my child was not going to be ruined by doing video games. And actually, I remember getting, I was going through a custody battle, unfortunately, when my son was young and he was playing this game where you, you know, run over street workers and, the, and, you know, it came up in court and I'm like, I would be much more worried if he were punching a person or being yes. rude teachers, he's very unlikely to take a car and run over a working woman. You know, it's it, we, we get so pedantic about these things. And the reality is there's a dialogue between you and other. And when you honor that dialogue and sometimes verbalize it, I think that there's a lot we don't verbalize, especially with partners. If something is pissing you off, believe me, they are hearing you. So oh, yes. You Finding a nice way to say it is not smart. You know, I, I, I think um, what I love about my husband, who does not have a verbal filter in many ways, uh, what I love about him is he'll say, wow, you're getting really wrinkly here. It would, it's so, I treasure that because I know he finds me beautiful and I know he loves me, but I would hear that anyway. And, and without him saying it, I see this. 
I love you. You have a beautiful face. It's the face I want, but I'm noticing this. Without him saying it, the exchange would be very damaging. Um, and, And it's really important to learn how to say what you need to say in ways that are supportive, but that you're not repressing them because what you repress, you shout. And studies on telepathy show that, you know, have when a lot of times in marriages, someone will come home defensive and the person will say, the partner will say, well, I don't understand. They came home and they were so defensive. And meanwhile, an hour before they came home, you were thinking, she never does this and she never replenishes the milk. And she ne-. they're hearing it. Even if you, your response is, hi, darling, happy you're home. They've been hearing that. So it's really important to work on communication. Remember, communication isn't just what you say, it's what you're experiencing and transmitting, it's what you're embodying, which is why actually as human beings are finding that position in ourself where we're comfortable self-care is a really important thing because we are transmitting that to everyone around us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that self-care is I mean, every you've you've said so 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 much, um, and it's been so jam packed. But what I'm hearing most come through from you is trusting your inner self, trusting that intuition, and really Not listening trust. into it. Listen, document, verify. Trust is for idiots. We don't trust. Oh. You know? No, no, not about trust, because you can trust things that, I mean, I'm sure we've all, included myself, trusted lots of things and people that we should have verified. No. Love that. Notice, listen, verify, document. And and it's just the process of doing that will show you where your reasoning is archaic, where it's not real logic in the moment. Because you'll mm. know, even if you're not aware of it, oh, wait. I see that I see the little chink here in in my logic, you know. Um, so it's I'm not big on faith and trust. I mean, I think there are lovely qualities to have, um, but intuition's a tool. It will give you data. And mm-hmm. one of the things I really uh, recommend that everybody do is, and it's in the circle, set a goal and notice pieces of that goal in your environment. And notice when you set that goal and stick with it, because part of the reason we don't achieve our goals is we're in a million directions. But once you set that goal and write it down, the mind's a messy place, notice how your choices change. Notice Mm -hmm. how your interactions change. Because without your having to notice the data, intuition will be saying, oh, there's an outer roadblock here and you'll have memories, oh, wow. I haven't had that memory for ages, but when I'm moving toward that goal, all of a sudden this memory comes up all the time or things that you're holding on to or people that all of a sudden feel uncomfortable. It's interesting how as an organism within an organism within an organism, so as a human within a community, within a family, within a larger structure, when we make a tiny shift and we give it a bit of time and perseverance, everything changes. One of the things I really like to remind people of is that when you get to be my age, you've ruined your life at least 20 times, at least, (sighs) that's scanty. 
you've ruined your life rock bottom at least 20 times and you've come back stronger 20 more times 21 mm -hmm. it, your miracle could be 10 minutes from now you know don't get stuck in who you are how you see life what you are and your beliefs move forward toward your goals and you will meet them and it won't always be easy and definitely won't be pretty because doing something new is rarely pretty if it's pretty you're pro it's probably not new it's probably just the same thing dressed up in a different way but, but move toward it and uh, one of the things i love about my work and one of the things i love about intuition is that you see people recreate themselves and it does inspire a, a reality-based belief in the power, absolute power of being a human being. Mm -hmm. I love that. Laura, we are heading towards the end of our time together, but I feel that you have said so many empowering things and so many wonderful nuggets for so many who will listen to this. I would love for you to tell everyone where they can all find you. I love that. So, uh, every morning, and of course I travel a lot, I'm a lecturer married to a screenwriter. So, but we live out of the suitcase mostly, um, every morning, wherever I happen to be where it's morning. So sometimes in London, it's a little, you know, later, but, or earlier for, for the East coast, but I, I go on Laura day into it on Instagram and we exchange readings. There's so, I have so many free resources online. So Laura day into it, um, lauraday.com, L-A-U-R-A-D-A-Y. I will, if you sign up for the newsletter, I do a lot of free community-based events. Um, so please do uh, sign up. And I've written six books, uh, finishing a seventh, but <clears throat> excuse me, I've written six books that are workshops. They're here, you want intuition to find love? here's how to do it. You want intuition for your business? Here's how to do it. This is the one I live by because it's the ADD manual. It's oh. I'm totally disorganized. What are the steps to mm -hmm. use intellect, emotions, intuition to create a new reality for myself? So the, the, the books I, I, um, I really love, they are a lot of work. They're not kind of inspirational, sit back with your cup of coffee books. They're take out your pen and paper a lot amount of time each day. I mean, it's, they're, they're sweat, sweat books. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I love them and I do, I, I really, you know, you don't, you don't need a psychic and you don't need a healer. What you need is a community where you can mm -hmm. offer your intuitive and healing skills to others and they can offer them to you. And then when you do go to an expert, you'll find the right one for what you need. Thank you so much for everything. And you've given us so much to think on. And thank you again for being here today. And until next time, XOXO, Dr. V.